Well, it's a pleasure to see quite a few more of you here this morning. We had a real uh, gap, you might say, up here in this area last week and missed some faces we're used to seeing. So it's good to see all of you. We're going to sing a Christmas song this morning, Oh, Come All You Faithful. So let's stand as we sing, please. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exaltation, sing all ye bright hosts of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to Thee be all glory Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Oh, you sound great. Thank you. Now greet your neighbors and then you can be seated. Good morning, everyone. 
Morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> well, Jim Boyd was supposed to come up here and make some announcements, but he just walked out the door, so I guess we're not going to get the announcements. I do have a few things here myself but um, to share with you, but so good to see everyone, and if you're a visitor here this morning, we really are glad to have you here and hope that you will come back, and I know that you're going to enjoy what the Lord has to say to you through Kyle, because he has been a wonderful teacher for us, a wonderful expositor of God's Word. I am sorry that we missed the Christmas party. I heard really great things about it. I wish we'd have been there. It would have been a lot better than where we were. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's a joy. It's a joyful time, without a doubt. Joyful time of year. We'd like to open always with any prayer requests or anything that you'd like to share with us. We do have these prayer request cards uh, on the table where you check in with your name tag, and we ask that you fill those out so that those can be prayed for on Monday with Monday with the Masters. Can you? Um, I just, my friend that had the brain surgery for his last stage of Parkinson's last week, he's doing fine, so thank you for all your prayers. Praise the Lord for that. Bill Kaler, um, husband of Shirley Kaler, has a fever again. He spent weeks in the hospital and weeks at home with an infection, and he has a lung problem anyway, and he once again has fever. And if it gets up to 101, he has to go back. And Shirley is sick with uh, a chest problem with an infection as well, so we really do need to remember Bill and Shirley Kaler. Thank you very much. Yes, Paul. I have a friend named Kenneth Jones. Uh, he had, he's had six, uh, five hip operations, and he had a knee operation the other day, and it's infected. And so they were going to take the knee out, and they checked on him, and he had to have a heart. He had had a heart attack, so he had to have a bypass. He's sick. Uh, he he needs. He, need, he needs help. Appreciate you praying for Kenneth. <clears throat> I just want to say a special prayer for our, our granddaughter, Nancy, who is expecting her fourth baby. The oldest is six, and it's due December 31st, and we just pray this baby will be healthy and also Nancy. Okay, Paula. Well, we'd like to ask you to pray for a job for Clay again. He lost the job that he had. Uh, it was not a good situation at all, and we knew that, but we thought it would last longer than two weeks. But anyway, he needs another job. I think that's a good idea. Here, Camille. Camille has a praise. She said, oh, after all this, I need. we need a praise. There's a couple who used to go here. They were thinking about joining. Um, she loved this class and loved everything. She had been diagnosed with um, cancer in 
uh, she had an operation on her hip and uh, because of a, a tumor. And during that operation, the doctor discovered that she had cancer in her pancreas, in her liver, and in her stomach. And uh, so they were on their way to Anderson and uh, supposed to be. And in further uh, uh, examination by the doctor, he decided that uh, he had been wrong and there was no cancer anywhere and she was perfectly healthy. I, I don't, I don't, all I remember is that I don't know their last names, but her name was Jen and his was Richard. They were very good friends, are very good friends of, uh, of the Fracks who go here, Jana and Dick. So that's all I can tell you. Everybody wants the name of the doctor. <laughs> Well, I have a praise. Carolyn Williams is with us this morning again, and Carolyn's been released from her cage that she has to wear. She broke her back and had an extremely serious surgery, and she had to wear this apparatus. I don't know what you'd call it, but it's bad. Let's put it this way. She couldn't go any through any metal detectors. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to ask for a prayer for my daughter-in-law, Janie. Uh, you know, she had cancer about three years ago, and every six months she has to come back to the States from Central Asia and be tested. She came back and just had the test. She has uh, It's clear again, but she's flying out in the morning. She has about a 20-hour flight, and she has to get back pretty fast. They're about, their visa's about to expire, and she'd be locked out for about three months if she didn't. So. Yeah, Drew, it's good to see you again. Praise the Lord. Okay. Charlie has a praise, she said, because he's he's been married to her for 58 years. Give him a round of applause there. I think you'll be able to say something. Okay, I'll tell you what, we have, um, we've heard these prayer requests. If you can remember most of those, it would be good for you to pray for those as you think about them during the day. Uh, let me see if there's something else here. Bill Fuller is confined and has to keep his leg up and elevated. Um, I had the Bill Kaler uh, news here. Jim Rice... Um, Jim Price, I'm sorry, I don't know why I said Rice, Jim Price, he had a stint uh, put in, and um, do I'm sorry? Yeah, okay. But he um, had to have a number of transfusions from the bleeding from the, from the, where they put the, where they put the um, instrument in for the uh, stent. Jim, do you have some announcements? You're back. Okay. I'm going to let Kyle make these announcements that he has, and then uh, after I pray, you can make these, Kyle, and then... Um, after? We, okay. Um, 
Go ahead. <laughs> and then you can take it from there, okay? Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning with grateful and thankful hearts that you have worked in our lives so mightily. First of all, Father, for our salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ, how blessed we are and how wonderful it is that you have provided this for us and not only provided it but awakened us to our need for it. How we praise you that we have such a great hope. Father, for all these things that we mentioned this morning, you know them intimately. And we have been told that the Holy Spirit prays for us and prays for these things. And I ask the Holy Spirit to do that for these prayer requests. And for each one of us, for you to lay on our hearts and minds during the week uh, these things that we've heard, specific prayer requests that you would have us individually pray for, Father. And I pray that we will do that this week. Thank you for... This class, thank you for the fellowship that we have and the love we have because of Christ for each other. Thank you for the answer to prayers we've heard about this morning. Praise you for those. Thank you for Kyle, our teacher, who has given so much of his life and time to the study of your word. May you fill him with the Holy Spirit as he comes to teach us today and open my heart and my mind to hear what you would have me hear and to learn and to put into my life, the use in my life. Thank you for our wonderful country. And um, this time of year, may this be a time of awakening for many people asking about, really, who is Jesus? And may many come to Christ during this time. We pray this morning, Father, that the gospel will prosper in our country and that you will cause our leaders the hearts of our leaders, to be turned toward you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two quick announcements. Uh, Mike Matthews, he's been in here before making announcements regarding mission programs, uh, is the coordinator of a course that is going to be taught at the church starting in January called Perspectives on World Mission. This is a course that's taught all over the country. It encourages lay people to get involved into uh, missions. Uh, basically, it's a college-level course. It starts in January, goes through May 4th. Uh, there is a cost associated with it. Um, the church will pay half of it if you want to take the course. And I was also told if the money's a problem, just talk to them and they'll take care of all of it. Because the church is very interested in the lay people of the church being aware of what's going on in the field of world missions. So here are some brochures. The course will be on Wednesday nights starting January 12th and go through May 4th. Uh, Mike Matthews is the coordinator, so you can call him on that. Uh, we will not have class on the Sunday after Christmas. Christmas is on a Saturday, so December 26th we will not have class. We will have class on January 2nd, the day after uh, New Year's. It was left as an option to the individual classes, so some of the classes won't be meeting. Uh, we decided that I'm going to be here. Some of you all are going to be here, so if you're here, come on. We may have some people from other classes who just show up and their classes aren't meeting. So uh, we will be having class January 2nd. We will not be having it on uh, the day after Christmas. The 19th? Like next Sunday? Why wouldn't we? <laughs> Yes, we will have it on the 19th. 
Okay, turn if you would to the second chapter of the book of Mark. If you were here last week, and we had a lot of people involved in the cantatas, so we were down a little bit, we have started a series based on questions that Jesus asked. About 18 years ago, I taught a course on questions that people asked Jesus, and at the time I said I needed to teach the flip side of it, which were the questions that uh, Jesus asked, and it ends up there are lots and lots of them in the Scripture. So... We will have lots of material. We can take as long as we want. And the good thing is, there's some really good stories in here. So, last week we talked about the disciples in uh, in the boat. If you remember, uh, the storm came up and the people, the disciples were terrified. And Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? Why is your faith so small that you can't recognize that God is in the boat and God is in control. So that was last week's lesson. And today we're picking up in Mark chapter 2. A few days later, this is verse 1, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them, since they could not get to him, could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Son, your sins are forgiven." I don't know if you can see that map. There's the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is on the coast of the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he left from with last week's lesson, and he has essentially returned to Capernaum. That was the kind of his base of operation when he was working up in the Sea of Galilee area. Peter's house was there, and that is probably the house that we're talking about in this chapter. Um... There's actually a, a, an interesting, there's a church built on top of Peter's house. I mean, it's like on stilks above his house, what's left of it. So anyway, it's kind of interesting. Jesus has begun his teaching ministry, his healing ministry. If you look back into chapter 1, people have been healed. And he shows up probably to rest, but the crowds found, find out that he's there. And they start coming in droves to the house, and they fill the house. And then they start spilling outside, you know, kind of open the windows and let Jesus teach. And te- Jesus is teaching the word to them. In the middle of this, some individuals, four guys, show up carrying a paralytic. Obviously, friends, obviously the guy was not capable of getting himself there, so the friends brought him. Well, there's a problem. There's too many people. They can't get the paralytic to Jesus. Uh, This would lead you to believe they were not people of any stature in the community. Uh, There are other uh, references to this passage that would lead you to believe that the paralytic was a rather poor individual. But at least he had four friends. That's a good thing. So, 
these four individuals climb onto the roof of the house. Now, a lot of houses of the time would have a flat roof. In fact, people might go up on the roof to cool off or something. The breeze was better. And uh, so there might have been some stairs or something that went to the top of the house. And they went up there. They kind of looked at the roof and figured out where Jesus was. And they started digging a hole in the roof. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had friends over to my house and they started digging a hole in my roof, I would think that was a little odd. But, hey, what I think is odd is, you know, Jesus is in there teaching away. And you've got to assume that, you know, some dust starts to fall, some pieces of whatever. And he just keeps teaching. So the four individuals lower the paralytic into the room. This is a fishing village. There's all kinds of fishing rope available. So they grab some rope, tie it onto the mat, and lower him down. Familiar story. What does Jesus do next? First question. What did they want Jesus to do? This is real easy. Come on. Healing. Okay. They had heard. They had known that Jesus was in the business of healing people. Once again, go back to Mark chapter 1. There's all kinds of people that are healed around the area. What they wanted was for Jesus to heal their friend. That's why the next sentence is somewhat remarkable. Jesus saw their faith, and he was amazed. And he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Stop right there. Is that what the paralytic wanted? No. Is that what the paralytic needed? Yes. Did the paralytic know that he needed it? No. It's an interesting situation. Here you have four friends who have done some socially unacceptable things, digging a hole in somebody's roof, lower this guy down, and Jesus is impressed. He is impressed with collectively their faith. Last week, when we had the disciples in the boat, we saw that Jesus was very unimpressed with their faith. Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? But here we have a different situation. We have lots of faith. The individuals had enough faith, first off, to bring the paralytic to Jesus, And secondly, they did some outstanding things to get him to Jesus himself. So, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Why do you think he said that? Why do you think that's where he started? He knew what was coming. Probably. We're all sinners. That's true. Pardon? He needed forgiveness more than he needed healing, even though he didn't know that he needed forgiveness more than he needed healing. And that's what we're getting to. That's right. Now, verse 6. 
Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. Sitting there pondering what was going on. Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So, we have Jesus in a room, packed full of people. We have people from the community coming to hear Jesus speak. But over in the corner, I'm speculating it was in the corner, over in the corner are this group of learned individuals from the community. Why are they there? Well, you know, this upstart teacher comes to your community. You know, due diligence says you have to come pay attention and figure out what he's teaching. So you can zap him. That's coming. So they're sitting over in the corner thinking to themselves. Remember, it doesn't say they're talking amongst themselves. At this point, they're just thinking. And that's significant because of what's going to follow next. And they make the interesting observation. Who does this guy think he is? Why does he talk like this? He's blaspheming. Question, what is blasphemy? Talking against God. It is verbally saying things that degrade, contradict, whatever, bring disgrace to the name of God. Question, was Jesus blaspheming? Well, you say no, because you know the rest of the story. Their sentence is correct. No one but God can forgive sins. But that's interesting. Let's think about that for a moment. Let's say you have two friends, Tom and Harry. Tom walks up to Harry and whacks him on the side of the head. No particular reason, just didn't like him that day. Whacks him on the side of the head. So you walk up to, I don't know, Harry and say, I forgive you. Or you walk up to Tom, the person who did the slugging, and said, I forgive you. What good does that do? None. Why? In order to forgive somebody, you have to be the party that was insulted. I can't forgive Tom for hitting Harry because Tom didn't hit me. I have nothing against Tom. Tom's done nothing to me. It is presumptuous of me to forgive Tom for whacking Harry up the side of the head. I can't do it. Pardon? Unless Harry was my little brother? Then I think I'd be obligated to whack him back. But do you see, I cannot forgive something if I was not the offended party. Now, let's go back to the Old Testament to this guy named David. David is up on his roof one night. He looks over and he sees this babe taking a bath. Bad situation. He likes the babe taking the bath. 
So he invites her over. Her name is Bathsheba. Well, she happens to be married. Well, when you're king, you can do things. So basically, he arranges to have her husband bumped off. His name was Uriah. So now she is pregnant with his child, and she's not married. Voila! Life is good. Problem is taken care of. And they have a son. But God knows. So God shows up in the form of a prophet who gives this little story about somebody stealing a lamb when a guy only had one lamb and the person doing the stealing had all the lambs in the world and blah, 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 blah. And David is indignant. We're going to go find this guy and we're going to go give him justice. And the prophet looks at him and says, you are that person. You could have had any woman, anything, God would have given it to you, but you went and bumped off Uriah to get Bathsheba just to satisfy your lust. And David says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. What about Uriah? Didn't he upset Uriah? Uriah's dead. Uh, What about Bathsheba? I mean, he drug her over to his house. I don't know how willing she was. Who knows? But we need to remember that ultimately sin is a violation of the will of God in our lives. When we sin, God is the aggrieved party. Now, there are consequences of our sin that may affect large numbers of people. Sometimes entire nations suffer because of the sin of individuals, as we see in the life of David. But those are the consequences. The aggrieved party is God. Because God has ordered the universe, God has given us instructions on how to live in this universe, and we look at God and we say, no, I'm going to do things my own way. And there are consequences that come out of that. Only God can forgive sin, because all sin is an affront to the character and glory and honor of God. Now, I might add that when we do sin, we repent, we confess it to God and we repent. We are also obligated to make restitution for those who are harmed by our sin. We don't forget all those people. We need to deal with it. But the sin itself is against God. The Pharisees, the uh, teachers of the law, whoever we're talking about here, Pharisees, scribes, um, were correct. They were right. Only God can forgive sin. It is presumptuous of us to think otherwise. Unfortunately, their syllogism has a problem here. I mean, it's a very logical series of thought, right? Only God can forgive sin. 
But what is the unstated next premise? This man is not God. Therefore, he cannot forgive sin. Therefore, what he is saying is blasphemy. And you know what? If Jesus were just, was just a man, they're right. We have lots of discussions. I think there was a discussion in the sermon a couple of weeks ago about the fact, you know, that, you know, oh, the scripture doesn't say in, you know, big bold letters, Jesus is the son of God, is God. Well, it does. But it also has lots and lots of verses that clearly show that the people understood him to claim to be God. And he was making statements and doing things that showed that he thought he was God. And then we're back to C.S. Lewis's argument. We cannot say that Jesus is just a good teacher. He is either a liar, i.e. he knows that he's making false statements. He's a lunatic because he thinks he's God and he's really not. Or he is, in fact, the Son of God. Those are your only three choices. Because if he were just a good teacher and he was making statements like this, it really is blasphemy. The Jewish officials were correct if the middle premise, Jesus is not God, is true. But what Jesus is going to tell them is that middle premise is wrong. I am, in fact, the person who can forgive sin. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why did Jesus not just heal the paralytic and send him on his way? I mean, we see that occur all the time. He cures people of leprosy. He cures people of this. He raises people from the dead. And that's the end of it. He tells them to go their merry way. Why did he make this statement? Because he knew who was there. And he was there to pick a fight. We shouldn't say that. He wanted to make a point. And here it comes. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. We can stop right there. More evidence of the fact that Jesus is, in fact, God. He knew in his spirit what they were thinking in his heart. It doesn't say he had some vague idea. I mean, sometimes I get a vague idea of what my kids are thinking about, but it's just an idea. He knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And he tells them, why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? When I first started working on this lesson, the question I was going to deal with was, which is easier? The more I worked through it, I began to like that first question a lot too. Why are you thinking these things? 
Why are you thinking the way that you're thinking? Because I have to stop myself often, regularly, going, why am I thinking this? And if I had God, if I was aware of the fact that God knew what I was thinking, maybe I would stop my thinking a lot earlier. Why were they thinking what they were thinking? Why do you think? Unbelief? Tradition? That was the way they were raised? They wanted to bring Jesus down. What was over here? What did you say? They were making a trap. Ultimately, ultimately, this is what they get him for. Okay? This man claims to be God. Yes. They want to deal more with their physical body than they do their inner spirit. Let's look at a spectrum of motivation. Let's assume for one moment that some of these religious leaders were sincere good guys. Let's assume that for just one moment, okay? Here is this guy that just walked into town. Let's say that today an individual walked into our auditorium, walked up onto the podium, and said, I am God. How do you think the elders of this church would respond? Security would be all over him. You know the care team, the guys with the little microphone? They'd be there. Go ahead. That's right. Why should they? In fact, the... Right. So, in, in, in all sincerity... If you're trying to protect the community against heretics, you might want to tell them, this guy's a wacko. Now, unfortunately, there's these miraculous signs that he's been doing, uh, these healings that nobody can explain, you know, a little leprosy cured, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. kind of raises your eyebrow. But at one end of the spectrum are honest, sincere leaders who think it's their obligation to protect the people from something that's out of the expected. We've had long discussions in here before about what the Jewish people thought the Messiah would look like. And let's face it, it wasn't Jesus. It didn't involve babies in mangers. It didn't involve... You know, being born and being a carpenter and and walking around with fishermen. It involved swords. It involved horses. It involved triumphant entries. And it involved kicking the Romans out of... Okay? So he didn't fit what they expected. So we've got to stop him. But at the other end of the spectrum, we have religious leaders who are ingrained in their position... They have a position of power and authority in the community. 
And we are not going to give that up. We are going to fight whoever comes to us and we're going to get them out because obviously this guy is dragging our customers, I mean our people, away to him. And what will that do to our status in the community, our contributions from the community, etc., etc.? There is a spectrum of answers. Now, we know for a fact that eventually they're going to be over here. Eventually, with all of the miraculous things, all the teaching, all the things that Jesus does, they're going to kill him because he is a threat to their way of doing business. But at this point, you have the spectrum. We do have members of the religious community coming to Jesus and asking him intelligent, thoughtful, sincere questions. And Jesus deals with them. Then we have members of the religious community trying to trap Jesus and to work him into a position where they can call the Romans in to zap him. So, why are you thinking these things in your heart a variety of different reasons but jesus asked the question which is easier which is easier to say to the paralytic take up your mat and walk or to say your sins are forgiven now let's stop right here we are in fact going to have a vote I do want you to raise your hands. Okay? There's only two possible answers. I want one hand from everybody. Okay? Here it comes. Which of you thinks that it's easier to say, take up your mat and walk? That has some hands. Okay? Who thinks it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Gosh, we are split down the middle. Who didn't answer the question? (laughs) Who is asking the question? Jesus is asking the question. What is meant by easier? Let's get to that in just a second. No, we can get there right now. Yes. Either way. Either way. <laughs> Go ahead, Wally. Very good. To, to, to tell the guy to get up and walk is a very visible act. To tell him his sins are forgiven, you may not see that. My speculation, this is pure speculation on my part, it was visible. Okay? Yeah. That's coming. We haven't got there yet. Yes, Larry. There were rules. And 
so they thought it probably the paralytic he circumvented their rules and they just forgave the guy the nerve of them go ahead as being easier uh huh It's, it's easier for Jesus, right? Yeah, I agree with that because of what I was alluding to earlier. Huh? We saw the two needy hosts together. They got up and walked off because they were playing with it. Yeah, he was a plant. Well, he quoted the Old Testament. <laughs> the price of forgiving sins is the greater. Go ahead. If he didn't know, he the paralytic. Right. At some point. That's right. Oh, yeah, he was teaching the word, is what we were told. Go ahead, Will. Well, we totally avoided that on purpose. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Yes, Joy. No, not in and of itself. What's that? <laughs> Yes. He's much more important. But that wasn't the question. Let me ask you a question, okay? I'm assuming most of you know how to swim, okay? Or did at one point in your life, or you may not do it regularly. I uh, actually swam in high school on the team, and I don't swim anymore because I'm tired of it. No. But let me ask you a question. Those of you who know how to swim, which is easier, to swim the Pacific Ocean nonstop or to swim the Atlantic Ocean nonstop? Okay? I mean, let's face it. The Pacific Ocean is bigger than the Atlantic Ocean, but it's a stupid question. Why? Because you and I would both drown 100 yards off the coast of either one. So for Jesus to ask the religious leaders, which is easier between two things that were impossible to them, is an interesting question. To me it is interesting. I'll just tell you my personal opinion, and this is just my opinion. I think the one that's easier is to take up your mat and walk. Years ago... I taught this lesson, and I had somebody that was very adamant. No, the easier one is your sins are forgiven. But when talking to them, what was interesting is we, living in the age of grace, the New Testament, the, the day where we accept Jesus, we begin to think that forgiveness of sins is no big deal. Okay? 
We hear the pastor. The pastor says, confess your sins. God will forgive them. And we go, yea, verily, I'm in. That didn't cost me squat. Life is good. It's easy. And that's what this lady was thinking. That's easy. I don't see paralytics hopping up regularly. So that's got to be harder. What is the real answer to the question? They're both impossible for human beings. And they are both possible for God and for no one else. That's the answer to the question. Which is easier? I don't know. I can't do either one of them. I cannot forgive your sins because you didn't sin against me. You sinned against God. And I surely can't walk over to Harris Hospital and walk down the aisle and tell people to start getting up and walking out. God has not given me that power. Now, we know that at different times in the New Testament period, God did give that power to people, to the disciples, to the apostles. He gave that power to them. But why did he give it to them? For the same reason that he is going to exercise it right now. Let's keep reading. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. The hidden, who said it? The unseen reality of the ability to forgive sin. That you may know that this is true. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The miraculous sign was the authentication that he had the power to forgive sin. We see that in the New Testament period, in the book of Acts. I walk into town, I, Paul, I, Peter, walk into town to teach. And I perform the miracle, not because I'm some kind of magician, that's what they thought they were, not that I'm some god, some of them thought they were gods. I do the miracle so that people will believe the word. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. So that you will know that I have the power to forgive sin. He uses the phrase, the Son of Man. That is a commonly accepted phrase that Jesus used referring to himself. We actually see it in the Old Testament prophecies. The Son of Man has authority on earth. He has the right and the power. Why does he have the right and the power? Because he is God. Only God can forgive sin, and I'm forgiving sin. Could he have made it any clearer to this Jewish community that he was ministering to? No, he couldn't have. All of them knew exactly what he was talking about. We keep reading. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, 
took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. I like that. Full view of them all. It wasn't, bring the paralytic into the back room. I'll heal him. He'll sneak out the back door, and I'll come out here, and I'll tell you that I healed him. No. Mob of people talk to the paralytic. The paralytic gets up and walks out of the room. Everybody sees it. No smoke and mirrors. No tricks. Out he goes. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. It is interesting. Chapter 1 of the book of Mark deals with some other miracles. Okay, there's the healing of leprosy and a few other things. And we know that Jesus has already done several different miracles. The people have heard about these miracles. Who knows? Some of them may have even seen some of the miracles. But there was something about this situation that amazed the people. Now, obviously, some of them hadn't seen a miracle. Okay? They probably knew the paralytic. He was probably a member of their community. I mean, it's not like he's going to walk real far away, right? He's probably a member of their community. They knew his situation. Odds are they knew his family. I mean, all of that stuff. And he performs a miracle. But the miracle is only half of the story. The other half of the story is the proclamation that he is, in fact, God. I am not just a faith healer coming to your community to do magic. Even as good as it might be, even if it's real, that's not my mission. I am here because I have authority to forgive sin. And that's what I'm going to do. Only God can forgive sin. I forgive sin. Therefore, it is an acknowledgement that, in fact, I am God. Yes, Joy. That's a good observation. There was no merit on the part of this individual to earn the forgiveness of his sin. Okay? It wasn't, I mean, whoever made the comment about the the, uh, religious leaders had their list of rules. Jesus didn't come up and say, they have their list of rules, uh, do half of them, and you're in. No. There wasn't anything, but there was one thing. And that one thing was faith when they came to jesus they had faith and to me it is interesting contrasting that with last week's lesson the disciples are in the boat the storm comes jesus is asleep they come to jesus and we mentioned last week you have to give them brownie points for at least coming to the right person they came to jesus in this story The paralytic was brought by four individuals, and he came to Jesus. But 
They came to Jesus with the expectation that Jesus would heal the individual. I'm not sure what the disciples were expecting. As we speculated last week, I think they just wanted Jesus to bail and worry with them. I mean, that's what they were doing. We don't know. We do know that Jesus chastised them for their fear and their lack of faith. And Jesus praised these individuals because of their faith. They came to Jesus with the expectation that Jesus was going to do something. They had the perseverance to dig a hole in the roof. More speculation? And this really is just pure speculation. I bet the paralytic came over next week and fixed the hole. But that's just me. You know, in reality, pure speculation, they may have left the hole. That hole is where, anyway, go ahead. We need godly friends. You need four to carry your mat, right? What is the old joke? You need six, you know, to carry the casket. No, go ahead. Well, that's an interesting comment. I would say, my opinion would be no. His, his question was, the fact that he had the faith, does that uh, point to the fact that he already was forgiven and that all he was really doing was telling the community of what had come in this individual's life? I, I, I'm not sure. I think he was forgiven when Jesus said, you're forgiven. That's my, would be my take on it. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's an interesting point, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's true, the second part of it. Yes, sir. And we have a whole other lesson. And there are commentaries that have the whole other lesson about the fact that he was obedient. When he received his healing, he was obedient and did what God wanted him to do. You know, I know it's a silly picture, but you have this vision of, you know, take up your mat and walk. And you go, no, I'm quite comfortable here, thank you. I'll just lie here a little bit longer. Buddies, carry me some more. No. He went through the crowd. He couldn't get through the crowd coming in. But coming out, the crowd was rather impressed. Don't you know there was kind of this, wow, look at him. Somebody over here had a comment? No. He didn't say that because he couldn't do it. Where we go when problems come shows our faith. They came to Jesus with the problem that they had. And I guess it's where we go, and the expectation that we have. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus forgave sins. Therefore, Jesus is God.
It's as logical as it gets. So, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to get our sins forgiven? We need to come to Jesus. We, like the paralytic, are consumed with our problems of our lives. And this was a serious problem. This wasn't a make-believe problem. This wasn't a, oh, my life just isn't very nice. kind. Of, this was a real, a serious problem. But the bigger problem that the individual didn't recognize was that ultimately there was a sin issue. God deals with the sin, and then he deals with the problem to show that he has the power to forgive the sin. We also know from the scripture that sometimes he forgives the sin and sometimes he heals and sometimes he doesn't. There is no indication that while Jesus was on the earth, there were no sick people in Israel. We know that he healed a lot of people, but there's no indication that he healed everyone. Everyone didn't come. Some did. How would I apply the faith aspect? We have had discussions in here before about the fact that we don't think that healing is an, a gift that the church has today. Okay, let me work my way here very slowly, very tiny steps. What that means is that we don't believe an individual has the authority to walk into the, hotel, the hospital and just walk down the hall healing people. Like we know Jesus had the power to do, we know he gave that power to the apostles. The reason he had it, the reason he gave it, was to demonstrate his authority and to demonstrate their authority until such time as the written word was given to us. And we had the word of God written down. Now, we do know, we do know that God still, still heals people. The elders of the church are instructed to go pour oil and pray over the sick. We know that God still heals people, like the story that was just told earlier today. He doesn't have to, and it's obvious he doesn't heal everyone. We know he didn't heal Paul of whatever infirmity Paul had because God uses our infirmities to draw us closer to him or to draw us away from him, either way. So, does faith mean, if I have enough faith, all my problems are going to go away? No, I do not believe that. I've told the story in here before. We have some friends, they're good friends. The lady died of cancer. And till the day that lady died, her husband berated her, because if you had more faith, you wouldn't have this cancer. That is a horrible thing to dump on someone. You're dying because you don't have enough faith. I don't think it works that way. We have the forgiveness of sin that God has promised. 
The entire passage here is done to show that Christ has the authority to forgive sin. It is not done to show that when we take our prayer request, he will automatically, if we have enough faith, heal everyone on that list. We pray in expectation that God will answer those prayers. We accept the providence of God that sometimes people just need to go home. My father, at some point, needed to go home. And that was the end of that story. If we believe like the world that death is the end of the story, then when a Christian dies, he's lost. Lost not in saved lost, but as in he lost the game. Biblically, that's not true. The great heroes of faith died. All of us died. So I'm not sure I'm answering your question because, because I don't want to pretend that the reason that list still exists is because we have lack of faith. We may have a lack of faith. Personally, I think we're more like the disciples in the boat than we are the four guys carrying the friend. Tell me your question again. No, do. I'm interested to make sure. Mm-hmm. You will do greater things than I have done on this earth. Mm-hmm. And when you say that healing by the by the apostles stopped at the end of mm-hmm. that time, and that but Christ still heals, mm-hmm. and you use it in reference to the TV ministers mm-hmm. who collect money. Right. didn't know what is the greater thing though well I pray for them I mean that's my response right you need to pray for them Okay, I think I gave a consistent answer. Obviously, you don't agree. I think it's interesting, the observation, your comment, which is true. Jesus said you'll do greater things. What are those greater things? Does that mean Jesus healed five, so we'll heal 50? Or does it mean that Jesus preached to this small geographic area and people were saved, and now we, the church, preach to the entire world? See, we're, you're, you're focusing in on the greater things involve me healing like Jesus did. That was not his mission. His mission was not to heal people. His mission was to save the world. The healing, which was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, is the authentic, it's what gives him, the, I mean, shows that he has the authority to do that. That's the stamp of the approval. Now, let me back up and make sure you don't... I do believe God heals people. 
I do believe there are miracles that are worked every day in the world. I mean, I've talked to enough missionaries in faraway countries where the miraculous have occurred, and you go, wow, I don't understand that at all. We talked about this when we dealt with uh, Corinthians umpteen weeks ago. We need to make sure we don't put God in a box. And I don't think I'd, I probably do, but I shouldn't. You know, God can't do that anymore. Because you're right, in the United States, we see these televangelists doing this flaky stuff, and we go, golly, that's a bunch of hooey. God does miraculous things through his people, through his church. And I don't have to explain it. I don't have to get up here and and rationalize everything that God does, because I don't know. But, comma, but, comma, the purpose of God, the purpose of God sending Christ was to save the world from their sins. And to me, that's this lesson right here. Yes. Right. And what did they get? So Forgiven sins. Do, do it. Pray for them. But if God chooses not to heal them, that does not mean God doesn't exist, that God does not have power, and that your sins are not forgiven. And we are way out of time, and there's another class clamoring at the doors to get in. Thank you for... Well, sometimes that's a cop-out answer, but... Anyway, thank (laughs) y'all.